with me to the book of Philippians chapter 2. I want to talk today about something that almost has become prohibited to even think about in today's culture, and that's obedience. We don't like that word. But I want to declare today that obedience brings joy. Like the song we sang today, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. So we want to talk about obedience. The world looks at that word very differently, but I'm not here to satisfy the world. We're here to satisfy Jesus. Two weeks ago, we talked about joy coming from having a mindset like Jesus, a, a mindset that embraces humility, a mindset that looks to the interests of others as well as our own, a mindset that esteems others above ourselves, a mindset to serve. And then Paul gave the example how Jesus, having that mindset, came down to be our our salvation. And our example is this, it's Jesus. And then from that, Paul now shifts from talking about Christ's humility to what is our response to his humility. As I said, we live in a world where simply people don't like being told what to do. They even if it's something that is clearly and overwhelmingly for their benefit, for their good, for their help, they will resist doing it because someone told them to do it. People not only don't like being told what to do when something goes wrong, we like to blame other people for the issues that are happening in our own lives. We want to choose our own steps, do things our own way, and live according to our own ideas. And many will say, what's wrong with that? And truthfully, that depends. That depends on whose ways you're following, what mindsets you're following, and what path you're on. Following your own ways and according to your own ideas depends on the ideas that you have based your life on. Are you following a path that is looking to succeed at all costs? Are your ways based on some sense of selfish ambition? Or are your views of life those that only accept what I like and what I dislike as normal? Simply are, the, are we based on having to figure everything out on my own? Are my ways based on my being unable to listen to somebody else? This being an issue with dealing with or our interactions with other people is one thing. But when this mindset leaks over into our relationship with Jesus, 
When we start to follow Jesus, we need to come to the conclusion and understand early that when you come to Jesus, your way cease to be important. We are committed to doing things his way. We are committed to following his example. We are committed to walking in his steps. We are committed to getting his mind and his ideas on what he wants for our lives. Our goal as believers is not individual autonomy. It is not getting our own way. Our goal is to lift up the name of Jesus in all that we do. Our goal is to follow the example of John the Baptist when he said in John chapter 3, verse 30, I must decrease, he must increase. How do we do that? Philippians chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse number 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear, and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. I'm sorry, I have to read verse 14. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast the word of life so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all for this same reason. You also be glad and rejoice with me. Obedience brings joy. Paul tells them in verse number 12 to work out their own salvation. This verse has to be among the top 10 or so in the Bible that gets so misunderstood. To see this verse clearly, we need to understand first what Paul is not saying. He is not saying that we are to work for our own salvation. He is not saying that we do things that create our salvation. The only thing that created salvation was Jesus Christ dying on a cross for you and me. Our salvation is a gift of grace from the heart of God. And it comes by faith in Jesus Christ and in no other. And we receive this gift of salvation when we embrace him as Savior and as Lord. It's not enough to embrace him as Savior. He must also become Lord of your life. When we got saved, God deposited salvation in each of us. And our task is to take what he deposited in us and work it out of us to integrate the gift of salvation in every area of our lives. So, how does the gift of salvation apply to your thought life? I'll let you wrestle with that. How does the gift of salvation apply to my everyday relationships? How does the gift of salvation apply to to my speech and the words I say? Hmm, Gone to meddling now. How does the gift of salvation apply to the way I treat others? This needs to be worked out this needs to be addressed in our own lives but he does give us some some insight how should this be worked out 
with fear and trembling, he says in verse 12. Now, the word there for fear speaks of a respect and a reverence we have for the Lord. Simply, it means that when we come to the Lord, when we come to Jesus, among all the other emotions that we feel, among all the joy and the peace and the sense of calm and comfort that we enjoy and receive from him, one of the things that should be true is that from that moment, we take God seriously. We honor him in our decisions. We want to bring him glory in all that we do. And we're willing to do that no matter the cost. Even if everyone turns away. Even if it costs me something dear. Do we really understand that following Jesus, especially in an increasingly godless culture, is going to cost us? Are we willing to stand Firm for his principles of life. As we make it clear that I'm going to love everybody that comes my way. I'm going to love you and respect you. But I'm not going to embrace and I'm not going to embrace every off the wall uh, piece of, of thinking that anyone brings my way. People will think we're behind the times. That we're outdated. That even the perspectives that we have are cruel and hateful. Label it what you will. Jesus loved people. Jesus sought people. Jesus was accused of being friends of sinners. But he never shied away of looking at them and saying what you're doing is wrong. What you're doing shouldn't be done. Yes, he got in the way of the crowd that brought the woman caught in the act of adultery and put them in their place and then turned to her Let her know she wasn't condemned, but he didn't end it there. He didn't just send her away. He said, oh, by the way, don't do this again. Don't go here again. I will give respect and honor to people, to everyone, regardless of whatever off-the-wall ideas they live by. But I will make sure that I respect and honor God above all. I will take him seriously. That is why we are to obey him. People don't like that word. You see, I'm working out my salvation. I am seeing where I need to obey him more. Where I need to give in to his ways more. People have the idea today, I don't want to listen to anybody. I'll just follow my own ways. No matter what. In fact, it doesn't impact anybody else. But we need to follow him. Where are my selfish desires still in control? Where am I still increasing when I should be decreasing? Where do I need to obey him more? This is hard. Aren't you glad you don't have to do it alone? Aren't you glad you don't have to do this in your own strength? Because he says in verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. God is working in you. God is working in you. Is anybody happy about that? God, we need to have him working in us. He, we need to embrace the gift he puts in us and work it out. And as we do, the desire and the ability to obey him is nurtured. 
our obedience is not based on willpower. It's not based on your strong personality. It's not based on self-determination. It is God's power working in us to do his will. And that power brings joy. And how does this power or how does this working out stuff work practically? Because we need to be able to, as believers to look at things practically. This is the part where I test how much you really love me. We do the things we do without complaining or disputing. I'll just let that sit there for a minute. Now, I read that from the New King James Version of the Bible. The New International Version says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Hmm. The New Revised Standard Version says, do all things without murmuring or arguing. And in looking at different translations, I, I found one that I just thought was awesome. In Philippians chapter 2, the New Life Translation, or the New Life Version. Be glad you can do all things you should be doing. Do all things without arguing and talking about how you wish you didn't have to do them. <laughs> now, you know, I get it when the world can't embrace this but he's talking to christians here he's talking to us here gee lord do i really have to be nice to people yeah you do do i really have to love everyone even creepy people yeah you do do i really have to do good things for people who have done bad things to me Yes, you do, and it's not even enough to do those things. He wants us to do them without moaning, without complaining, without murmuring, to do it with a heart that's obedient toward God, knowing that that obedience brings joy. Murmuring doesn't bring joy. Complaining does not bring joy. I have to admit, I have known a few people over the course of my life when they've gone on this complaining spree, at the end of it, they seem to feel better. <laughs> Nobody else around them feels better, but they seem to feel better. That's not the joy we're talking about. Amen. Grumbling doesn't bring joy. Living Jesus' way brings joy. So why is this so important? Well, in verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do I need to convince anybody here or anybody listening to me how crooked and perverse this generation is? Have you noticed that it's a mess out there, that it's a complete mess out there? Have you noticed that wherever we turn, there seems to be crookedness? There seems to be no sense of decency, and the idea of common sense is no longer common. And what passes today for decency is just perversion. I guarantee you tomorrow I'm going to wake up as a man no matter how I feel. 
And on Tuesday, I will still be a man no matter how I feel. It's a mess out there. Being obedient to Jesus and his thinking. Not every new philosophy that comes around the corner. You know, a number of people will bring things to my attention, and I've gotten to a place where when someone says, have you heard something? I'm like, oh, no, what now? <laughs> what have they come up with now? I, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I used to think you would ever get to a point in life or you would get to an age where you would hurt it all, but I got to give them credit. They're coming up with new stuff each and every day. And it's perversion. And the natural human response to perversion is to recoil. But we're called to be lights to shine in the midst of darkness, to step into the midst of nonsense and try to make some sense. We're called to be lights in the world. And I can't be lights in the world when I've done everything I can possibly do to keep the world away from me, no matter how much of a headache they create. I'll have someone at work or someone I'm talking to try and explain. You ever have someone try and explain nonsense to you? And they will try real hard. But just listen to me. Let me explain it to you. And I will be respectful. And I'm really listening. And they're going on. And they're trying to connect dots for me. And inevitably, at some point toward the middle or the latter half of their conversation, they just immediately go off the rails. And I'm like, but that makes no sense. And they'll look at me like, what's wrong with you? And I'll look at them like, it's not me, pal. What's wrong with you? But the reality is, it's that my mind is focused on Jesus. And the world's is not. So it's one thing if we understand that we're going to look at things differently. But this letter is to the church. The world, I expect them to go off the rails. I don't expect God's people to go off the rails. I don't expect preachers to be preaching this nonsense. I don't expect God's people to be crooked and perverse. We need to be lights in a dark world. Because that Obedience ignites a joy that allows us to shine in dark places. But we can't shine as lights if we act and think and behave and moan about everything like everybody else does. And what is this joy based on? He says in verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. The word of life. Our Bibles, it's not just another book. It is the book. It is the word. It is God's instructions for life. It is God's love letter to our hearts. It is where we find out what pleases him and what doesn't please him. It's where we find out what's going to get him mad and what's going to 
make him happy. It's his word, his sacred, holy, anointed word for our lives. Everything, everything comes back to the word of God. Well, I think this, what is that thinking? Does it line up with the word of God? Well, I feel this way. Does that feeling line up with the word of God? But I want to behave this way. Does that behavior line up with the word of God? Because this is not just a book. It is life. The Bible says one day everything will pass away, but the word of God will stand and remain. This is the word of life. So this all comes down to that word the world hates. You know, everyone's got their opinions and everyone's allowed to, even within the church. But I have to draw attention because it's what comes clear to me. When this whole uh, pandemic began and the whole mandate regarding masks came about, there was so much uproar, and I began listening. And it's one thing if the mandates were unfounded or whatever, but what I heard over and over again, what's your number one objection? I don't like being told what to do. There's got to be a better reason for not doing something than somebody else told you to do it. Because when you come to Jesus, there's always going to be somebody else telling us what to do. His word says, Jesus said in the Gospel of John, if you love me, it, it doesn't say love me back. It doesn't say if you love me, treat people right, although we should. If you love me, keep my commandments. Not my suggestions, not my good advice, my commandments. Essentially, if you love me, do what you're told. Do what you're told. Isn't that what we as parents tell our children? To do what you're told. Isn't he our heavenly father? Then we should do as we're told. I don't like listening to anybody. Well, then you got a bigger problem. Because Jesus wants to bring us joy. And that joy comes from obedience. Paul says in the beginning of the passage we read that they were to stand firm. Beloved, as you have always obeyed, and he draws a distinction, not just when I'm in your presence, but even when I'm not. You see, you know something's gone deep into somebody when they don't need to be watched in order to do what's right. I think we call that integrity. And that's great with you and I, but how many know God's always watching? God's always seeing, and we want to bring him, bring him joy. It's through obedience. Work out your own salvation, not work for your own salvation, but work it out. Let the gift that's within you come out. He has given each one of us so much, so much love, so much peace, so much joy, so much comfort, so much clarity of mind. Let that come out to a world that lacks joy, lacks love, lacks clarity.
and who knows what they'll feel like when they wake up tomorrow. Obedience in Jesus brings joy. Stand with me, please. Father, we need you. Because we're a mess without you.